0: Thank you to our partners, SalesLoft, LeadIQ, and Costello for helping us put this one on. Find all our upcoming events at jbarrows.com slash events. Good afternoon, everybody. This is John Barrows, Make It Happen Monday. Hopefully you all had a fantastic weekend. I have an extremely interesting guest with me today because I've actually met this gentleman a few years back when he had done something that I had been dreaming about my entire career, which is to create uh, almost like a sales academy, if you will, because it isn't an educated profession. And it's, even though it's the most profession, most important profession on the planet and and dictates everything that every business does. And, and Sean had put this together to help educate sales reps the right way coming out of college. So now he's doing some cool stuff with startups and everything. Sean, you want to introduce yourself to everybody here?
1: Thanks, Sean. My name is Sean Shepard. I'm uh one of the founding partners of GrowthX and GrowthX Academy. I'm a five-time selling founder. I've had three successful exits and one really valuable learning experience along the way. And I've always been a professional salesperson or unprofessional for many years, <laughs> as it were. And I, always, I never understood why over 50% of college graduates end up in, in sales with no background experience or training. And you go back all the way to the age of the Industrial Revolution when sales was first professionalized by at uh, 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 NCR corporation and then uh, Tom Watson at IBM um, when we had to create repeatable scalable sales methodologies processes and train and educate people to do it um, and it always got a negative stereotype whether it was the snake oil of the uh, of the 19th century in the old west or it was um, Willie Loman and the death of a salesman or or um, the retail salesperson who perpetuates the myth with no training at all, and is forced to push uh, things on you in a very transactional way. Um, and our academic system, as a lead and, and uh, pompous as it is, has always looked down upon it. Um, and, um, and so I always had this vision of, um, of uh, why aren't we educating people and embracing the fact that this is the greatest profession in the world? You know, we have the highest average earned income of any white-collar role. We have the lowest divorce rate. (laughs) No shit. Is is that true? It's true. (laughs) Communicate. (laughs) There you go. Okay. Um, We have have the lowest suicide rate. No shit. Um, Yes. Um, And we have one of the highest average quality of life as polled by any
0: general profession. Wow. So I, I will say the divorce and the suicide is actually pretty... Uh, shocking to me. I, w- I would actually think we were a little bit higher on both. Like I'd, I'd say we were on the higher end because of the stress level involved in sales. But to your point on the communication, that makes total sense. Well, I mean, dentists and doctors are killing themselves every day,
1: um, and uh, <laughs> and their divorce rates are incredibly high.
0: Huh. That I
1: mean, is. Ponders public public servants. I mean, there's a whole host of these. But we have a pretty damn good life, and it's a very valuable role. And when you ask leaders. In business, the most valuable role in the organization, it's the sales professional. They, because as you know, as well as I do, nothing happens until somebody sells something. Even the Bible was wrong when it talked about the oldest profession. <laughs>
0: it had to be sold first. I have that line all the time. Everyone's like, yeah, a prostitution. I go, no, no, no. She had to sell it first. Now, don't get me wrong. Probably wasn't exactly a hard sale, but it had to be sold first. That's right.
1: But what is sales other than trying to understand what somebody wants and then giving
0: it to them? That's and and I mean to boil it down that simply that's really what it is. Right? It's not I think the the perception is I'm trying to convince you of something that you don't need, right? That's the negative perception of it is. <clears throat> but yeah, excuse me but the reality is I'm just trying to ask you some questions to figure out what you actually need and then make a connection to what I got, right? Yeah. And if it helps, it helps. If it doesn't, it doesn't. I move on. And if you have that, right, I tell people this all the time. I said, look, I actually, like, if you take what people's uh, mentality is around sales, I actually say, I don't sell you shit. I, I, I either help you achieve your goals or solve your problems. And if, I, and if my solution can't help you achieve your goals or, or solve your problems, then let's stop talking here because like, th- there's no reason for us to continue this conversation. But I got to ask you some questions to uncover it because you might not see the connection yet, right? That's right. No one cares
1: about your products. They care about their problems and whether or not you might be able to solve them. That's why I like to call products byproducts. Byproducts are being fully immersed in the experience of trying to give people what they want. Yeah. And so if you think about now, Okay, let's say sales is, and, I, and you and I are both on the same page. We've talked about this a lot of times. We want to elevate the profession of sales in society to its rightful place alongside being an accountant, a doctor, a lawyer. Well, not a lawyer. <laughs> yeah. But you get my point. And so if you yeah. do that, and if you rethink sales as a profession, how do you educate people from, from day one forward, Right. And you just gave me a sneak peek into your new book, which I think is super awesome. I'm not going to spill the beans for you. Guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's still secret. It's still secret. But it is, but but it, it, I, don't, I haven't seen anything more foundational in the form of a book uh, or elegant in terms of what life would be like if we all said when we were growing up, hmm, I'll consider sales as a profession, yet we all end up in the same place. We go to, we go, we go to college, and those that aren't in STEM roles, right, mm-hmm. that have very specific... Um, college-level-based requirements to get into a certain kind of job or role or function in society. They end up in liberal arts colleges. Yep. That was the last time you saw a job posting that said, seeking liberal artists.
0: <laughs> yeah,
1: never. <laughs> you spent two hundred fifty on this bullshit education. Yep. My daughter didn't want to be a doctor, and she's off to Gonzaga in four weeks uh, Thanks, on a scholarship for pre-med and physics, and she's super smart. I love her to death. She's definitely been raised by her mother. Um, uh, I would tell her no. I mean... Go, go, uh, go get a job, uh, go to the JUCO route for a couple of years, save the family a bunch of money because it's all a bunch of nonsense.
0: Yep. <laughs>
1: I'll, I'll say the same thing to my son. So when, it, when I was faced with the reality of, um, eight, so here's another statistic. Every year come May, when, when graduation season comes around in the universities, all the major media outlets prop out the same article over and over again. They poll um, college provosts and ask them if their graduates are ready for the workforce. of them say yes. Then you go to the employers and you ask them if the people that are, that they're, that that they're um, hiring out of these roles are ready for the workforce. 90% of them say no. So there's a massive gap there, right? And it's, and it's what I call a workforce readiness gap. And I've seen it throughout my entire career, growing and building companies and sales teams, just like you have, um, that, uh, if you choose a role in sales, or or chooses you because you don't know what else to do, which right. is often the case,
0: yeah.
1: you're now at the mercy of that company and your leadership, that in that direct hiring manager, that direct uh, sales manager, uh, that direct coach, um, as to your as to whether or not you success, you succeed or fail, grow, develop, or decide that this industry is for you or isn't for you, and and why is why is with everything that we 've done turnover and sales still endemically on average fifty five to sixty yeah. percent? I think it's because of those very things mm-hmm. And so if we address it as a society as a whole very differently, and we view sales on that same level as different professions, and we start to invest in educating people, um, training, supporting coaching, and developing them from a young age all the way through to that to that opportunity um, things will be very very different in my view.
0: Yeah, and and so and I will give people this is the first time I'm showing this, but I will give people a very small sneak peek of what I gave you, which is this what I want to be in, this is my book. I want to be in sales when I grow up. And it's I love it. I love it. Because Don,
1: you and I were talking about it just before we came on the air that that um, that I said nobody says that when they're a kid and then you went, "Oh yeah, well look at this. I just wrote this." <laughs>
0: And and the idea there, like, because I'll be damned. So I, the way I look at it is, like, you know, I I'm gonna be very concrete in the sense of where my fear is. Like, artificial intelligence, right? I call artificial intelligence like the AI Sauron in the sense that if, if the AI Sauron all of a sudden gets on your industry, right? So all those kids, for instance, that that went to school, like, I think some of the worst advice I had heard about five years ago was be a coder. Oh, coding, 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 coding. Go into coding. Like, it's gonna be a huge career for you. Are you? fucking mind. Like within like a year or two, artificial intelligence is going to be able to code so much better than you will ever be able to code. Now, don't get me wrong. There's going to be those savants that sit on the top of the coding pyramid, right? And those are the people that are going to dictate what the the computers do. But the other 99% of kids that went into school for coding and all of a sudden artificial intelligence comes on their industry, what are you going to do? Now you got to go back to school to figure something else out. If you're in sales, if the eye of Sauron hits your industry, fuck it. I'll just go sell something else. You know that's what I mean? Right.
1: So, so a couple of things I would say about that. So I did this talk on, on EI in the age of AI, right? Yep. Emotional intelligence in the yep. age of artificial intelligence. So so why will there be people above that AI? Mm-hmm. Uh, and We've got a portfolio company at, at GrowthX in, the, in our in GrowthX Fund too. that is all about automating um, the uh, coding called Boss Framework, and they're cutting they're cutting the development time and, and cost by sixty percent almost out of the gate, and yeah. they're just getting started. So, so where do you add value outside of that? It, with creativity, with curiosity, with empathy, with critical thinking and problem solving skills, with understanding how these things impact the world. That's where you're different, and that's why anything that's easy to do gets automated. If it's repetitive, it will get automated. And it's not a reason for people to freak out. No. We've been through this four times. This is the fourth industrial revolution, this innovation economy. The last one, uh, when the, fr- the last one happened in 1900, um, 40% of the jobs in America were ag jobs, farming, agrarian. Mm-hmm. Today, 3% of the jobs are ag jobs. Yep. We don't have 37% unemployment. Right. Every new solution and every new technology creates a new set of problems and challenges that we need to face. And when we're in sales, when we're creative, when we have business acumen, when we care about people and we know how to effectively communicate that, we understand a domain or an area of expertise, we can be super successful and separate ourselves, not just from the robots,
0: but right. from the other salespeople that are too fucking lazy to do it. A hundred percent. percent of them. Well, let me ask you the, like on that point, uh, what's what worries me. So you're right. We've had four revolutions, right? And what I've and I'm not a history buff by any stretch, but but the education. Oh, yeah, I am sick about it. So yeah, and that's why I'm asking you these questions. You know, one of the stats, and you, I'm not like I, the reason I wrote a children's book because I don't like reading. <laughs> <laughs> so. so <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So no, but. But throughout those, like when we went from agriculture to the industrial revolution, right? Our education system changed. We now realize we have to educate them on manufacturing and those type of things. So we, there was a distinct shift in our education model. Then, right. then when we came into the the kind of the new the the, the workforce model now with white collar work and all that other stuff, again we shifted our education structure to address that. We're now moving into the technology age and I am not seeing our education system shift to help empower the kids with the tools that they need to succeed in this new world that we're going into. Why not? I
1: love, I love that. So, so you go back to, and, and we talk about this a lot, if you go back to 150 years ago um, and you fell asleep uh, and say you were you know, Rip Van Winkle and you woke up today and you looked around The only thing that would look the same is a classroom. (laughs) No shit. Exactly. The only thing. So they were designed in that industrial revolution to take kids off of farms and teach them how to work in factories. Why do we have three months off for school? We have three months off for school because that was harvest season. So the parents needed the kids to come back to the farms and pick the cotton, pull the corn, and shuck the whatever. Right? And it's ridiculous. Now I'm starting to finally see some schools do – or some, some systems do year-round schools. Yeah. For example, in Arizona in a school district where we own a home um, and we used to live many years ago, um, they are on a, school, a year-round school system. They get two weeks off in the fall. They get their two weeks – uh, they get their Christmas break of two and a half, three weeks. They get two weeks off in the spring. And then they get six weeks of summer. And then they're back at school already. They went back to school a week ago. See, so so now it's not. Oh, the kids need the break. No bullshit. We don't get don't. you know unlimited PTO. Well, I mean, right. technically in the valley, unlimited PTO is a thing.
0: Yeah, but that's a sabbatical. That's called a sabbatical. Right.
1: <laughs> for, for example, did you know why school bells uh, school bells were made? Because they were made to mimic factory whistles. Really, all part of the training, lining up people in desks in rows and teaching them how to do rote things. And the only thing kids in the same class have in common, John is their age and their location. (laughs) And none of us learn the same. No. So to your point, we've taken at at GrowthX Academy, which we launched to solve this problem we were talking about, was to address sales education um, and, and workforce readiness. And not just for sales, but it's within the context of what we do at GrowthX, which is we invest in seed stage technology startups. We help them grow with the roles that matter for growth, which are sales, marketing, design thinking. Okay. Um, and so teaching sales um, in a way that helps accelerate learning. So we know so much more about the brain and how it, how it, how it works now. We know so much more about how and when it develops, depending on, on, uh, on age, gender, environment, trauma, et cetera. Um, and we know that the number one uh, principle in accelerated learning is direct experience. Yep. So direct experience means I want you working on real projects with real companies surrounded by a community of people who are going to be there to help you when you screw up because you're going to screw up. Because if you're not screwing up, you're not trying. You're going to add real value and build a portfolio of experience by working with real companies that may or may not hire you. Those companies are going to get value. The whole community is going to learn from it. And then the mentor community of the John Barrows of the world of who you are, a mentor for GrowthX Academy, are going to be able to hire you, uh, use you as an intern you're gonna learn about yourself, and then you do this in what we call a flipped mastery approach, which is when we grew up, we were given, we go in the classroom, we we're given a lecture, we we're given homework, we went home, and, and alone, we had to struggle through it. Well, today, in a flipped classroom model, um, what's more effective is to do the opposite, okay? We're gonna give you okay. some stuff to go home and read your own concepts, and you're gonna work through them, and you're gonna come back in, and we're gonna work through them together, nice. okay? And we're gonna do this in a way that's collaborative, interactive, and, and safe for everybody to learn. And then we're gonna focus on the individual and how they learn. And then we're gonna give the individual the opportunity to identify their own, let's say, person-company fit, as opposed to product-market fit. Um, who am I? Uh, what are, what's my natural, where are my natural tendencies based on my DNA and how my brain is wired? Uh, what, do I, what did I enjoy doing as a child? Um, and how does that translate into what I could do as an adult? Hmm. Um, and then you start to build your own story, and then you layer on the skill sets required to be successful in the in this fourth industrial revolution or what I call the innovation economy. Yeah. Um, I did this article for Inc. about this whole thing. Like, what are the things? What are the skills that matter most today? The first, in my view, is um, is um, mindset. So, f- number one, you've got to have a growth mindset. You need to be a learn learn it all, not a know it all. Yep. You need to remove the word rejection from your vocabulary and replace it with feedback and say, feedback is a gift. I want it. Every time I pick up the phone to call some, a stranger, yep. I, I want feedback from them. I want honest feedback, and I want to accept that because I want to be better at helping them and myself. Because in the innovation economy, there's no distinction between the person and the profession. You develop yourself as a person, you will develop yourself as a professional. Now, once you have that mindset, now you can go after the second step, which is business acumen. Yeah. You need to understand how what you sell to somebody helps them run their business in a quantifiable way. Because yep. if you don't understand your customers, 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 the entire value chain, you won't be able to connect the dots in that, in that, in that small moment where you have their attention. And then the third is market acumen. How do you take that skill set, that mindset and that business acumen and apply it to different industries to go from uh, financial services to, to uh, CPG to enterprise software as a service to, to uh, networking hardware technology to cybersecurity um, to, to retail to wholesale? I don't care. Pick it. You and I can walk into any room and probably run a conversation with a customer for the first time or a cold call better than anybody that we're training or coaching because we understand how to apply that, right? Right. And so people need to know how to be that agile. Why? Because the job and role and function and value that they're going to be delivering is going to change faster now than it ever has. In 1970, the average turnover in the S&P 500 was 75 years. In other words, it took 75 years for a company to fall off. Jesus. Today, it's 15. By by 2030, it's predicted that 37%, 40% of of the S&P 500 aren't even on it today. And you probably haven't even heard of them. Wow. And Jeff Bezos just came out last year at a shareholder meeting and honestly said, we're doing great, but I'm worried we may not exist in 20 years.
0: I I wouldn't be surprised.
1: Think about it. They uh, don't own shit. They don't own anything except... The three things that create a lasting mover advantage, which we're going to talk about in a few minutes. Yeah. Um, but but once you have business a- mindset, business acumen, and market acumen, you now need the the last most most important thing, which is communication skills. You need to yeah. learn how to take all the things from your mindset, your business acumen, and your market acumen, and communicate that value back out to the marketplace, whether that's to your boss, to your coworkers, to your children, or to your customers. Because at the end of the day, a company is just a group of humans, and it's humans that make people happy and sad. It's not about what you're selling or to who you're selling or why you're selling it, right? It's about who you're with. And so you have to build a skill set and then an understanding of who you are and what kind of people you like to work with and what kind of value you want to deliver to the world to create meaning and purpose, which is the only thing that's going to keep you from shooting yourself in the head or taking too many opioids.
0: Yep. So, so let me dive in real quick. Cause I, cause you said something before we jumped on here about like kind of hacking your sales career. Yeah. And if, if we were to take each one of those things, um, the growth mindset, say, say you're in, you're not in a growth mindset, say you're not a school, you don't know what the hell you don't know. Right. And, and you're just trying to get a job or whatever it is. How do you hack your way into getting a, how, how do you help yourself get into a growth mindset the right way?
1: Yeah. So the first step is to, um, Take any kind of uh, personality assessment you can get your hands
0: on—DISC, Mark Briggs, something like that.
1: Whatever it is, yeah. I don't care. I, and I've looked like just like sales methodologies that like you, you and I, John, have studied them all, and yeah. we know that all of them have good things and uh, that we take. And some of them, whatever, right? Yeah. Same thing with personality assessments and selection science. You need to understand yourself first. what's your natural state? Three-fourths of who we are is wired into us. And trying to pretend to to ignore that or not embrace that is detrimental to you and everybody around you, okay? Accept it, be who you are, and know that. So based on that, the second thing you do is define a personal vision. And you define a personal vision by understanding what you enjoy, okay? And I don't mean what's your passion, but what you mean. Because I think this whole find your passion and... You know, follow your passion thing is overblown. Yes. I don't think that's as sustainable as finding a meaning. Finding a meaning in life is everything in my view. Your okay, purpose. For young men, your right? why. Your why, right? Is that like correct. Correct. There has to be a higher purpose to what you're doing. Yep. So understanding what that is. So we literally take them through an exercise where they, they go back to when they're as young as they can remember, the things they enjoyed to do between say the ages of five and ten years old. And they write those things down. And it's a very simple exercise. Then they go into um, what do they like to do as a teenager? And then you take the top five things, you put them together, and then you start to analyze what do those things say about who you are and what you enjoy, right? I like Legos. Okay. So you like building things, creating things. Wonderful. Uh, I like sports. So you like like being around other people. You're competitive. You like team Environments right mm-hmm. I love the outdoors and 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 peace in nature, so you're a deep thinker right mm-hmm. you might need a lot of physical activity for your the oxygen to hit your brain for you to actually become a good problem solver mm-hmm. right those are the kinds of things that you look at then you then out of that you define a personal vision where you literally sit down and you do this for yourself and then if you have a spouse or a partner you can both do it together, but it's only for you mm-hmm. five to ten years from now. If you've gotten everything you want in life, what's the narrative? Where are you? What are you doing? Who are you with? What do you have if that's what you care about? Okay. Um, Because I used to be a big things person. I spent the first 40 years of my life chasing things. I'm now 46. I'm chasing people now. Mm -hmm. Um, Because that's me. A big part of who we are is GrowthX. Our number one core value is people first. I spent enough time beating myself up, working with people, and being around people that weren't good for me. Yeah, so now I do the opposite and then once you define that you come you craft a story and that story is I'm this kind of person who likes to do this kind of thing in this kind of environment and therefore I'm looking for this kind of opportunity people want to help us the problem is is we don't know how to ask. And we don't know how to do it in a very specific way. And you know, this is a mentor at the Academy. We teach people how to hack their career and then craft a story so that when they reach out to John Barrows, who's super busy and super important and on the road all the time, they have a very specific, clear message and ask, right? No different than when you're building messaging for the top of your funnel and outbound, okay? Here's who I am and here's what I'm looking for and here's why I think you can help me, right? And then from there, then we have them build a career funnel. And so you know as well as I do, everything's a funnel. Yep. I learned that in college. Just kidding. Uh, um, <laughs> <laughs> um, I didn't learn much in college, to be honest with
0: you. No, I drank my way through four years myself. So
1: <laughs> exactly.
0: funnels were a big part of my college experience. Exactly.
1: That so the first thing we want to do is, is create a funnel and we reverse engineer the funnel from the bottom up to create outcomes. So what do we want? We want three job offers from companies that fit our ideal company profile with the kinds of people we want to be with doing the kind of work we want to do. So then we reverse engineer that from the bottom up. So I got three to five, I got three to three job offers. In order to get three job offers, how many interviews do I need to go through? Mm-hmm. Okay, 10 to 15. And in order to get 10 to 15, how many companies do I need to have qualifying conversations with? Not necessarily pre-screen interviews, sure, but sure. conversations with people in the company. The last thing any of us should ever do is talk to a fucking recruiter. <laughs> Pardon my French, they're great people. I love them to death. They're in sales too, yep. right? but they don't make decisions they do not have the power they are simply facilitators mm-hmm. we talk to them once we've gotten the right sponsors in the company that say okay you now have to follow this this ridiculous compliance process and that means you got to talk to this person and go through all this shit yeah okay that they're the last ones we talk to okay they are gatekeepers so once you've had several qualifying conversations with say 25 people, uh, companies, you can get those 10 interviews. And in order to get to 25 companies, how many do you need to reach out to? Right? So we do this thing called the career canvas. We take the lean business model canvas. We've adapted it to a career and we have people fill out their own canvas. And it says for these people with this problem in this industry, I can help them in this way. And that's how they craft their story. And now they build out of that. So that's the top half or the left side of the canvas, if you will, the right side, because canvases are product and market. So nice. that's, that's the problem. Now my market is, this is the kind of company I wanna work with, with this type of backing and leadership, with this kind of risk profile, because you may love you may love um, SaaS as, as software as a service, and you're willing to work at anything in SaaS, but you also may be want, you may want something that's more stable than a startup. So mm-hmm. you may wanna go later stage, mm-hmm. right? So that's a consideration. You might want to work for your North Star. You may want to go to work for, for Elon Musk because he's your North Star. And if you work for Elon Musk, great. Um, you may say, um, I recognize that, that uh, my personal brand is helped by a successful corporate brand. And that often is true. Mm-hmm. We give what we give we give individual employees way too much credit, especially in the valley this whole I was employee number forty at box, who gives a fuck yeah um, you were you, i mean it didn 't make you better than somebody who was employee number four hundred or 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 somebody who 's working across the street at a company i 've never heard of, but mm-hmm. we give credit to that so you can use that to your advantage uh-huh. you also we we tend to take on too much personal identity when there 's failures okay, I went to a company that flamed out it doesn 't mean you 're a bad person right um, so you take those sorts of things into consideration. There's many other aspects of it. We don't have enough time here to go through it. People, if they want to listen or watch the talk, they can go, to, they can go Google hack your, how to hack your career by Sean Shepard, and you'll find uh, videos, and, and or you can go to gxacademy.com, and there's content everywhere uh, on this particular topic. But when people walk themselves through it, the point is, is we tell them to Canvas, 80 to 100 companies, just like researching 80 to 100 accounts, prospects, yeah, same nice. deal, Then out of that they pick that they pick the 40 or 50 that they think they want to go after, and then they build an outbound campaign based on an ideal company profile, and they begin outreach. And it's not it's a multi-pronged outreach approach. You're not sending cold emails, you're trying to use your network to find people that you can like John Barrows, who knows. Everybody at Salesforce, because the reason they sell as much as they sell is because of you. Um, so got, the you call, they pick up the phone. So, but that's the point, right? right? And now you start to have conversations and you take a consultative approach. Why? Because you're a product and that company is a market and your job is to find product market fit, or as we call it on the hack your career side, person company fit. I don't know if I can help you. I think I can based on what I've learned. I'd love to sit down and have a conversation to see if that, that is in fact the case. This is not a freaking interview. I'm not talking about my skills and what I want to be when I grow up and all this other shit. It's about what problems do you have and can I help you solve them? And I swear to you, John, and you've heard this as well, every hiring manager that has taken an academy grad, regardless of program, through an interview process has said the same thing. Holy shit, what are you teaching these people? Yeah. I've never had an interview like this. I've never had people come in with such thoughtful, deep, understanding questions about everything. And they've demonstrated to me that they've been thoughtful, that they're not just looking for a job, yep. that they're looking for a career,
0: and they're looking for it with me or for me. I love Make that. sense? Oh, total sense. I mean, I, I tell kids all the time, like you, like, you know, kids come up and ask me, John, you know, I'm, I'm not happy with where I am right now. And, you know, any suggestions? And I ask them that question. <laughs> which I used to think was stupid when I was a kid, when I would ask, Hey, what do you want to be in five years? You know what I mean? Well, I want to be a manager or whatever. Um, but now I actually, I don't know, maybe it's age or experience. Now I, th- I actually think that's an extremely important question to answer for yourself. Yes. And I don't mean to your point, I don't mean like, you know, at that company, where do you want to be in five years? I mean, lifestyle, like what, yes. what kind of house, car lifestyle do you want to be living? What's that vision? And then from there back into what kind of of job do you need to have to live that lifestyle? And what kind of money do you need to make to be able to live that lifestyle? And then back into it from there. Because I tell them, I go, look, if you're sitting in a job right now that you're unhappy and you don't have a plan, and say you're eating a shit sandwich right now, right? Well, if you don't have a plan, you're just going to go look for better taste and shit sandwiches. And, and, you know what I mean? And, and it's going to be a little bit look prettier, Right. Look prettier, yeah. whatever. Yeah. But, the, but if you have a plan, then look, I'll eat a shit sandwich all day long if that shit sandwich is going to get me to that next point in my career so that's it's going to build it to the next and I will deal with it here. Otherwise, I'm just going to keep bopping around and being slightly less miserable. Right? Yes, so- that's
1: an absolute formula for success. Do you know why serial entrepreneurs are serial entrepreneurs? Because they fucking win. Why do they win? Because they figured out that formula, yeah. right? And we did it. Look, what, after, after selling my last company and partnering with my partners to start GrowthX and launch a venture capital fund, Nobody on Sand Hill Road would ever fucking hired me. I didn't go to some blue blood, um, uh, you know, <laughs> yeah. uh, Harvard or Stanford, Stanford shit. Or, or, no, yeah. no, no, ever. When I, I mean, when I'm selling companies, I was selling to people that never would have hired me to work for them in the sales role. Ever. So we did it our own way in the same way we've always done it. So it was, look, we needed to raise a $10 million fund. And we went out and we built a funnel of, of investors and we worked the funnel until we got where we needed to get. Yep. It's everything is a funnel, and you're absolutely right. You have to have an exit strategy. When we invest in a company, we want to know there's an exit strategy because we have to deliver a return to our LPs, to our investors, yep. right? So I want to know what you what your exit strategy is because as a venture as a venture fund, we've got a three to five, seven tops exit window,
0: yep.
1: right? And so these kids need to have the same kind of thing, and it doesn't have to be five or ten years out. It's just pick one, yeah, pick the timeline build a milestone for yourself and reverse engineer it from the bottom up using that funnel approach and say, look, I want to, I want, I want to, I want to own a home in the next uh, three years. Okay, great. In order to own a home, you need a down payment. (laughs) How much of a down payment do you need? What kind of home do you want? How much is that going to cost me? Now how do I make sure I save that money to do that thing? Okay. It's be simple. I want to, I want a nice car or I want to pay off things. Right. I, Debt is the worst. I mean, there's good debt and there's bad debt. But but consumer debt's shit, right? Uh, house debt's fine. Yeah. Um, debt's okay if it's something that grows in value. It's not okay if it's just sucking shit out of your bank account.
0: Yeah, cars it, suck, houses are good, right? Right,
1: like I used to make the joke, I love it when, it's, when one of my sales guys would drive up in a new car. I knew they were motivated.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but
1: yeah, those bills. You, you pick that vision, you come up with that exit strategy and you say, this is where I want to go. But guess what? We ate shit sandwiches for the first several years just trying to raise that fund. Yep. And we we're getting the best deals in the portfolio because we weren't an established venture brand. Mm-hmm. But once we established ourselves and once we demonstrated that we added value because we knew how to help our companies sell when most VCs have never sold anything in their life, yeah. um, much less been an operator, um, that started to attract better deals in our way, right? Yep. And so, but we did, and look, every time um, I got a door shut in my face, I knew I had a purpose and a plan, and I knew if I kept working it, it would happen. Delayed gratification is a wonderful attribute to have, but you have to figure out what that delay looks like. Pick that window
0: yeah yeah it's it's it it drives me crazy how many people aren't goal setters you know what I mean like like literally just write down some fucking goals a general
1: fear of it because I think it uh, a lot of us just we, we, we tend to overthink it yep. and then we wrap ourselves around the axle and we get paralyzed from the you know, paralysis by analysis we, yeah. we we get locked up and we don't know um, what to do about it and then we certainly have a lot of self doubt and I would say that in my life, I think the biggest thing that ever held me back was that, at any point, was self-doubt.
0: Yeah, yeah and I...
1: Nobody else telling me that. It was just me. Mm-hmm. I have a great friend who's the head of the, of the, of the PTSD and mental health division for the, for the, for the uh, Veterans Administration in Northern California. Okay. Dr. Uh, Dr. John McQuaid, and he's written several books on this topic, but he taught me something very powerful. And he did this when he came in and talked to the students at the academy. He said, negative self-talk is the most damaging mental health problem that we have on a daily basis. If, just ask yourself, when you're down on yourself and you're hard on yourself and you're talking to yourself negatively, would you ever say those things to someone else?
0: Almost never. I mean, unless you're a raging asshole.
1: Yeah, exactly. You have one mean son of a bitch, right? Uh, But we do it to ourselves every day. And part of having a growth mindset is being mindful and catching yourself in those moments. Those moments when you, you just had somebody with a bad tone uh, hang up on you, yeah. right? You, know, you have no idea what's going on in their life. Exactly. Um, and and the time, it, it could be the timing. It could be any number of things. I've learned this over, over the course of my life. that people don't do what they do not because of you. They do what they do because of them. Yeah. And the minute you actually internalize that, recognize it, and believe it, you can be at peace with that entire experience.
0: I tell reps, like, lead with empathy. Just lead with empathy, right? You never know. Like somebody could be a raging, like, again, they could yell at you and scream at you. But, you know, that morning something happened where their wife or their husband or something, you know what I mean? Like something bad happened to them and they're just, uh, and that's why, for instance, a small nugget here, I tell reps, like when when a client, like when you have a good engagement with a client and there's some follow-up and next steps and they straight up ghost you, before you send that pissy email basically saying, what the fuck, where did you go, asshole? Yeah. Start your email with, hey, I haven't heard from you a little while. I hope everything's okay right? Yes. Because too many times in my career, I've sent that fuck you asshole, where did you go? And then I've gotten back, sorry, dude, I was in a hospital for the past three weeks with my kid or something like that. It's like, oh my God. Like, and those were like wake up moments for me being like, oh, apparently I'm not the center of the universe here. Maybe I should have some empathy here for what other people may be going. Even that person that you're driving down the street who cuts you off and gives you the finger. And you yeah. know what I mean? Like instead of getting road rage and right well, yeah, exactly. I'm like, I oh. wave and smile. Yeah, I was I- the opposite, but I, you know, I, right. I. But
1: now, you know, I wave and smile. It's the true measure of one's character is not how they act; it's how they react. Yeah, especially in those moments. And and my father taught me this amazing thing that he learned. He was a Navy SEAL era, uh, a Vietnam era Navy SEAL, and he wrote a series of articles on LinkedIn about um uh, uh what the military taught him about the corporate world. And he was a big Silicon Valley uh, semiconductor CEO and he built all the in- plants around the world for Intel. And he was a major company builder. And it was calmness. Calmness was was one of the seven attributes that he talked the most about, which right. was how can, can you be calm under fire, right? No. And if that fire is somebody being uh, a jerk to you, do that. And then the second thing I learned was this thing called, there's this book called Difficult Conversations and I recommend everybody read it and internalize it and understand it. It's about how you address impact and not intent with an interaction. Okay. Impact. So So say it again. Address impact, not intent.
0: Okay.
1: Okay. When somebody says or does something that upsets you or hurts you or harms you, instead of lashing back out at them in a way that, that comes at it like they're trying to hurt you, you come at it from, here's what your behavior did to me. And talk about it that way. So it creates a disarming environment that helps the other person understand Mm -hmm. that the impact that they had on that person with that behavior. Gotcha. So focus on the impact of one's behavior, not the intention of the behavior. You'll find that 90% of the time, people are not malicious. They're not trying to harm you, upset you, hurt you, or denigrate you. Something else is going on and they're not aware of it. And so if you address it from an impact standpoint, what you said or did made me feel this way, and I just want you to be aware of that. It's funny. It's a very, it's a very powerful way to coach, lead, interact with customers and coworkers, bosses, um,
0: or um, you know, or uh, or those that work for you. It's funny. I, I have this quick story where I was I was getting on a plane in Ireland, uh, and Air Lingus is literally one of my least favorite airlines of all time. Right. It's I, kind I, of What's that? Yeah, well, United, I'm, I'm, you know, <laughs> treat me differently on that one, but, but I, did, so whatever. I, I was frustrated with the airline all the way through. I was having kind of a rough day, anyways, and I was coming home, and I remember this woman she was like, and the stewardess came down and I was sitting in my chair. And you know how like sometimes you sit in the chair and it goes back a little bit and they say, yeah. could you please, you know, before we take off, could you? and I didn't touch it, you know, but it just yeah. moved back. And I said, look, I, I didn't touch it. I'm like, and it, and it wouldn't go up. And she's like, could you just please make, I go, look, and I got pissy with her. I was like, look, oh, fine, I'll move. And I just moved to the next seat. Right. And I was really just short with her. And she yeah. was obviously taken back. She was like, excuse me, sir. I'm just trying to do my job here. Like this is, and I'm like, yeah, whatever. Yeah. And as soon as I did it I was like god damn it she didn't deserve that but but it sat there and it ate at me right and so then all of a sudden she's coming down the flight, the flight takes off the, and she's coming down with her little trolley and I'm looking at her I'm like fuck here it comes you know and now I got to interact with her right I'm like shit um, you know and and as she came up I could tell she was also dreading seeing me as well right, right. And she ended up giving me like, I was like, I'll have some water or whatever. And then as she was serving it, I go, look, I just wanted to apologize. I've been having a little bit of a rough day. I I, I took my frustrations out. I'm, I've, I'm not happy with Aer Lingus right now, but that had nothing to do with you. And I took out my frustrations on you. And I just wanted to say, I'm sorry. And she literally almost broke down crying. She, 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 she got down, like crouched down. She hugged me and she said, you know what? I've been having a really bad day too. And you know, and this is why, and I'm not feeling good myself and all that other stuff. And all of a sudden she was just like, I, and, and I just can't tell you how much I appreciate you actually saying something to break this. And and all of a sudden we were talking and chatting. I was getting free drinks the whole time. You know what I mean? Like, and all of a sudden my game flipped around because I took that like myself out of the whole scenario. And I and I try to do that with customers who are pissy. I try to do that with prospects and stuff like that. And it just, you know, the disarming factor of, of, of empathy and understanding is an amazing thing. So I think more of us need to practice that a lot more, and, you know, all, all throughout, you know, on both sides, right? Just to I
1: agree. We, uh, we call that in growth X and growth X Academy. We call that hugging elephants. <laughs> there
0: you go. I like
1: We're it. In the room, everybody knows it. Yeah. Instead of, you know, attacking it, hug it.
0: Yeah. I like it.
1: it. Immediately. It's, 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 it has an amazing, you know, ripping off the band-aid sort of mm-hmm. effect. that's a perfect example of hugging, hugging an elephant. You know, and intuit, if you're empathetic, you know, and intuit that that person is upset with something you said or did or vice versa. And you hug that elephant and you do it using that difficult conversations approach. And you say, I'm sorry. (laughs) Right. I apologize. I did something wrong. Obviously it's affecting you or it's affecting me. And I just want to let you know about it. And you talk through it and it has Amazing, amazing effects, especially yeah. when you start to behave that way over time. Then people will start to tell you the truth. And this is a really important part of today's marketplace. We always talk about uh, messaging should be designed to do one thing and one thing only. And it is to generate an honest response. Yeah. And when you have a growth mindset and you approach it that way, everything's about finding the truth, about can you solve a problem for somebody? Where does your product fit in the market? If that does it all and what, what you can do about it. Create a functional learning organization out of the group of people responsible for finding that truth. And then determining if you can work together through fit, right? Not through selling a, a product uh, or a
0: service. So, So how do you, let me pinpoint that real quick as far as, because I think that's one of the hardest things about sales is getting that honest, uh, insight from the customers so that we can understand how we can. And I, and I, I kind of, I did a keynote a little while ago and I said, and I put a big chicken and the egg uh, picture up on the screen. I said, you know, can, can you can all help me out here? Could you help me understand what came first, chicken or egg? Um, who lied first? Did the, the the sales rep lie to the customer or did the customer lie to the sales rep? <laughs> because somewhere along the line, like we all teach our kids from the minute they're born, like honesty, truth, you know, don't lie, all that. up. But somewhere along the way, it became completely okay to boldface lie to a sales rep, Right. I mean, think yes. about it. you walk into a you walk into a huge department store, right? You know what you yeah. want, you have no fucking idea where it is, and yeah. some sales guy comes up to says, "Hey, sir, how can I help you today?" You know, and all you have to do is say, "Hey, I'm looking for this," could you point me in the right direction? And they do it, right? But yeah. nine nine out of ten people will be like, "Ah, I'm just looking," and they'll wander yeah. around that fucking warehouse for the next forty five minutes.
1: Right? <laughs> so yeah, here's why I agree with you, and, and so and here's the fundamental state of of, of today's society. People will not tell us the truth if it creates more work or conflict. Okay, okay. yep. So that think about sense. that for a second. Those are the two reasons why we do that in a, in a department store. Yep. So our job as sellers and marketers is to be is to spend more time trying to create an environment that creates less work and no conflict
0: with more information and value. Does See, it does. And that's why, you know what, the way I've started to get there these days, and this is a slight little hack for reps out there thinking about this, is I actually try to disqualify clients way more than I try to qualify them.
1: Yes, sir. We and we're all about that at the GrowTex because you know at the seed stage when we're trying to find out where a product fits in a market. Not we and you only got two or three guys and girls actually working on that. In in this massive market of thousands of customers, you don't have time for everybody. You need to ruthlessly disqualify people. Be ruthless with yourself and your own behavior in how you disqualify. Don't be ruthless to the customer. But you have to come up with a clearly defined framework under which you can determine very quickly if someone is worth continuing to have a conversation with right now. It's not about Mr. Right. It's about Mr. Right now. Who's a good fit today? Help me get what I want. So you have to create a disqualification framework, not a qualification framework that's designed exclusively to do that. Because if you do that
0: correctly, the bottom of the funnel speeds up in a hurry. Well, and this is why I think a lot of startups make the make the mistake, and I see them fail. Is they take money from anybody early stages. Like they'll they'll sell to anybody who will give them money, and yes. what that does is that 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 leads to bad customer service, bad results, all that other stuff, and it and it's like this this spiral downwards. Yeah. Whereas as hard the customers yeah as hard as it is, and I recommend this to any startup is find like hone in on that true ICP of where you know you can hit a home run and just go find those customers and then look if you want to discount that type of stuff to get them in early because you don't have a reputation, fine but yeah. go find them because that's the money you want and those are the customers that you know you can add the most value to and then you start branch branching out from there but if you take bad money and bad customers it sucks away resources you yep. bad reputation and you'll Oh, it's fail. just the
1: lazy inevitable. Yep. You're going to fail.
0: And the, and the I and ICP
1: at that stage doesn't stand for ideal; it stands for initial. Yeah. Customer profile, which is very different than what your long-term profile is going to be. Yep. This is about getting you to stay on the field long enough to learn where your product fits in a market, if it does it all, and what to do about it. Fifty percent of successful startups pivot at least once. A third pivot at least twice. There's no shame in any of that. But you oh. have to be able to go out seeking the truth, learn from that truth, and then through the course of that, determine at a unit level whether or not profitability could exist. Yep. Those are the three objectives of the whole GrowthX Market Acceleration Program, our core framework about taking something someplace new and how we apply it across these three traction milestones that we have to help our, our companies win. Because 80%, 70% of funded companies uh, at the seed stage fail.
0: Yep.
1: And 80% of the reasons they fail have to do with markets and the behaviors of the people running the company. Only two have to do with the product. We live in the age of applied technology now, John. Companies don't fail because they can't get the product or technology to work. They fail for all the other things that we just talked about. Lack of differentiation in the marketplace, being seduced by everybody who expresses interest in your product, regardless of whether or not they're a good fit. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, uh, Founding teams not getting along well. Um, Misallocation of resources. This whole, you know, this whole thing started. We were all angel investors, and we invested in the same kind of companies and some of the same companies. We we're tired of getting emails that went, uh, "We need to raise more money because we we ran, you know, we, uh, we we weren't able to raise from these people, or or we're shutting things down because we uh, we couldn't raise any more money." And I'm like, "Bullshit! You pissed away the money we gave you on stupid stuff.
0: Yep,
1: you didn't allocate it in the right way at the right in the right
0: in the right areas." One, one of my favorite one of my favorite stories is how Sony was started, right? And the first pr- like the guy who and and, I, and again I don't remember names very well at all, but you know he started in a warehouse and he just got his bunch of friends together and said, "Hey, let's start a company." They're like, "What are we going to do?" He's like, "I don't know. We're a bunch of smart people. We'll figure it out." Yeah, that's and- what Hewlett Packard did too. Right, who but they started did- same deal. It took him Sony- three years. Sony's first, product, Sony's first product was like a rice boiler maker thing and it exploded and nothing worked. Their second product was a heating pad. And that was what they finally got some traction on the heating pad and they made a few bucks. And so they pivoted, going back to pivoting, they pivoted like 15 times before they became Sony, right? And so- yeah your point, the growth the, the growth hack mindset, the growth X is-, is And really people first, right? They decided yeah. they wanted to work together. They didn't know what they wanted to do,
1: but they wanted to do it together. Yeah. Fuck, I wish I would have done it that, done it that way the first time 25 years ago. Life would have been a lot easier. You know what? People that fell in love with products and not people. And now it's the, op- it's the opposite.
0: I'll, I'll tell you my, you know, and then we'll wrap up here. But, you know, my, I was super fortunate at a very young age to somehow stumble across some friends who I just wanted to work with who had started a company. And we didn't profile. We didn't go through the strategic thing. We just wanted good people to work with us. And we ended up creating this company that ended up being the fastest growing in Massachusetts, gotten selling off to Staples and all that other stuff. But it wasn't because we were the smartest kids out there. We worked our asses off, but we all gave a shit. And and we kept iterating and pushing each other for for to, to evolve and all knew that we didn't have the answers so we were just like shit let's keep trying shit out here and let's you know where it breaks it breaks where it doesn't it doesn't we'll keep doubling down on the stuff that does so that's the Jim Collins philosophy and his
1: research in his books right it's about a well, core team if you're gonna build something that's lasting you've got to have a core team that yeah. displays those kinds of behaviors they they will beat the shit out of each other yep. it's more like it's like family like. Me and my brother, fifteen months apart, beat the crap out of each other growing up. But nobody was ever allowed to touch him.
0: Yep, that's exactly it. <laughs> yeah, <for me. laughs> yeah, right. So, Sean, look, I, we didn't even ship man. We didn't even get to what we were supposed to talk about this lasting mover advantage. But I think this is part one of at least a two three part series here on podcast. So um, all day, you and I, it's disgusting. Really- Let's yeah, no, it's <laughs> awesome. But uh, let, let's do this. I do want to. I do want to hit on the next stage because we talked about Growth Hacks, your career, how you should look at things. Now, building a business, right? Because a lot of the audience really, I think, has aspirations here to start their own thing. Yeah. And so let's talk about that lasting mover advantage. But let's wrap things up here. How can people find more stuff about you? Um, you know, where where should they go to, to learn more about GrowthX and and you and everything else that you're doing right now?
1: Sure. They can go to GrowthX.com uh, for the parent company. Gro- uh, gxacademy.com for uh, for for, uh, for the sales academy um, and uh, obviously on Twitter I'm at, at Sean A Shepherd um, Instagram
0: LinkedIn Facebook uh, everything so feel awesome. free to, to to shoot me a note. Awesome, Sean. Well, look, let's, uh, let's do this again soon. I'm going to yeah. send you that link for my counter because I want to keep this conversation going. And uh, maybe we'll tease it out maybe a few weeks here so that we, so they don't go back to back. But uh, let's you keep enjoy. this conversation going because I love what you're doing. You and I have a very similar mindset on what it takes to be successful. And again, coming back from, from backgrounds where we're not the smartest kids in the room, I think gives us an advantage these days because uh, you ever think, I always go to Jack Welsh, right? If you think you're the smartest kid in the room, something's wrong, right? Yeah, leave the room. Yeah, leave the room, go find some other people. <laughs> exactly. Unless, right.
1: that, unless that room's a
0: bar. That's yeah, yeah. A- well, there you go. That's a totally different story. <laughs> <laughs> go back to the funnel, right? So. <laughs> Thanks, brother. This was awesome. Have a good one. I'll talk to you soon. All right, everybody. Thank you again so much. Hopefully you got some value out of this one. And as I say every time, go make somebody happy today. Go make somebody smile. There's too much negativity in this world. And no matter how bad your day goes, if you can put a smile on somebody's face, you know you've done a good job. So let's, uh, let's all have some fun out there and make it happen. All right. Thanks, everybody.